In whom or in what do you place your hope? That question is vital for every single person to answer because a properly placed hope is pivotal both for this life and for the next. In whom or in what do you place your hope? Now, I didn't ask any of you this question before coming to worship today. Maybe I could have surveyed you and got some responses, but I don't think it's too far of a stretch to think or to imagine that this is how you would answer this question. In whom or in what do you place your hope? I place my hope in the God who bought me back with his blood. I place my hope in the God who gave me new life through the waters of baptism. I place my hope in the God who daily refreshes my soul and restores my spirit. In whom or in what do you place your hope? Within the four walls of this house of God, you all confidently shout, we place our hope in God. As you meditate on the word of God for your personal devotion, you are saying, I place my hope in God. When you lie your head down on your pillow at night and pray after a long day, you are saying, I place my hope in God. In whom or in what do you place your hope? That question's easy to answer within the four walls of this house of God when you are surrounded by like-minded people, people who have the same faith as you. That question becomes increasingly more difficult to answer as soon as you walk through those doors. And it doesn't become more difficult because you don't know the answer. I've seen you all nodding your head as I've asked that question. You know the answer to it. The question doesn't become more difficult because you don't have the confidence to answer that question. Every single one of you, whether you think you are confident or not, has the confidence to answer the question, in whom or in what do I place my hope? Because the confidence to answer that question comes from the very faith that God has planted in your heart. But the reason... The reason that question is more, becomes more and more difficult to answer when you step out into the world is because there are so many things vying to be the center and the object of your hope. In whom or in what do you place your hope? That is a vital, vital question for every Christian to ask because having a misplaced or a mis, uh, misappropriated hope in the wrong thing will be eternally detrimental. I can come up with a whole list of things that are vying to be the very center and object of the hope that you have, right? I'm sure you could rattle off a list of things too, but this morning in our second reading, the Apostle Paul, he, he zooms in with laser focus on just one of them, on riches. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in riches which are so uncertain. Now there's going to be a tendency, maybe for all of you this morning, I know there was when I first sat down and started studying this text for this week, to think, well, God, I'm not rich. So these words, maybe they would apply to somebody somewhere, but they certainly don't apply to me. But there are two important truths that you and I have to understand this morning on the outset of this sermon before we go any farther. Truth number one, you're all rich, and these words all apply to you. Now, sure, none of you are Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk rich. At least I don't think so. If you are, I'd really like to know. Um, none of you are that kind of rich, but I, I came across a study um, from the Wall Street Journal that was done in conjunction with Pew Research that said, if you make more than $50 a day, which equates to $6.25 an hour for an eight-hour workday, which is lower than minimum wage, follow me? If you make more than $50 a day, you are in the top 60% of wealth in the world. You're rich. And that's not me calling you rich. That's not God calling you rich. That's pagans. That's unbelievers in the finance market who are calling you rich. All of you are rich, and these words apply to you. Truth number two, that, that riches, wealth, material possessions, whatever label you want to put on it, they're not in and of themselves inherently bad or inherently evil. Although, 
although they have the potential to lead you into sin and to become something that is evil, especially when riches or material wealth or possessions are one of the greatest things that are vying to be the very object in the center of your hope. And if you don't believe me about that, just take a look at the whole way that our lives are structured from about age 14 to the time we die. When we're pretty young, our parents send us out to get jobs to make what? To make money. And they tell us to save this money so that we can pay for college. And we get to college and we pay this exorbitant amount of money and, and take out student loans so that we can get a degree so that we can find a career to make what? To make money. We work a 60-hour-a-week job so that we can buy things, that we can have, put food on our table, we can have a roof over our head, clothes on our back. And it's not just so that we can buy the things that we need to survive, but also to have things that we enjoy. A nice car or a nicer house or a boat whatever thing that you want to buy. You work 60 hours a week for almost your entire life until the age of 65 when you've had enough money stocked up in your 401k so that you have money and you can retire and you can enjoy life. Riches and money are so closely tied to every facet of our life that people have a tendency to place their hope in it. And it's not just people out there. We as Christians are susceptible to this too. There, there are, or there is a group within Christianity uh, who promulgates this false gospel called the prosperity gospel. Have you guys all heard of what the prosperity gospel is? Even at its most basic level, this is what it says. That if you have faith in God, you will be rich. You will have the house. You will have the toys. You will have the boats. You will have the giant bank account. And if you don't, then you've got a problem with your faith. So it's no wonder that people both out in the world and within Christendom, put their hope in God when these are, or put their hope in riches when, when these are the ideas that are being spread. But why is that? I'm not asking why those ideas are spread, but why is it that both people in the world and we as Christians, why is it that we have a tendency to put our hope in wealth or in riches or material possessions, however you want to label it? Well, I think at a base level, we think it's going to fix all of our problems, right? The more money you have, the more money you can throw at things that are wrong. We think that riches are going to make us happy. It's going to be able to buy us the stuff that we want. We think that riches are going to make us friends. We actually hope that riches are, are the thing in which we derive our sense of meaning and value and purpose. We think that and hope that riches are going to be the very thing in which, or that allows us to live life that is truly life. In whom or in what do you place your hope? If it's riches or treasures or possessions, even the smallest little sliver of hope, Paul says that, that you're in for a life of nothing but arrogance and of disappointment. Paul says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant. And, and wealth, like I said, it's not, or riches, it's not inherently evil, it's not inherently sinful, but, but wealth has this tendency to lead your sinful nature to play one of its vilest games, the comparison game. You guys know what I'm talking about by that, the comparison game where where you evaluate what you have in this life. And I don't care how much you have, but you evaluate what you have in this life and you find somebody who doesn't have as much as you and you puff out your chest and you look down your nose at them and you think that they're better than them. After all, that's what arrogance is. It's thinking better of yourself than somebody else. And not only does, does riches, do riches lead to arrogant thoughts, but putting your hope in riches is in and of itself arrogance. Do you understand what I mean by that? Putting your hope in riches is, in and of itself, arrogance because you think that riches are, having more riches are going to solve all of your problems, that it's going to make you happy, that, 
that it's the thing which gives you your value and meaning and purpose in this life. And when you do that, do you know what you're doing? You are fearing, you are loving, and you are trusting riches over and above God, which is a complete aberration of the first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods. And in his explanation of the first commandment, Martin Luther says, this means we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. But the minute that you place your hope in riches to make you happy over and above God, you have turned riches into a God itself. The moment that you look at riches as the thing which are, is going to make you happy or win you friends or buy you things, you've turned that into a God. The minute that you fear, love, and trust riches and material possessions and wealth over and above God in any way, shape, or form, you've turned it into a God. Having wealth isn't in and of itself bad, but putting your hope in wealth it leads to nothing but arrogance and is arrogant. And not just that, it's just going to lead to a life of disappointment. Paul says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in riches, which are so uncertain. But there's so much in life that's uncertain and that you can't predict, and the riches are just one of these things. And if your hope is in something that is uncertain, do you see the great irony in that? The very definition of hope is the expectation for or of a certain thing to happen. So you're placing your expectation of something certain to happen in something that is uncertain. So if you place your hope in riches, if you place your hope in riches to fix your problems, if you place your, your hope in riches to, to make you happy, if you place your hope in riches to to get value and meaning and purpose for your life, but then those riches disappear, what happens? All hope is gone. All hope is gone. Placing your hope in riches is, is sort of like setting out to build a house. You sit down with the builder and you, you pick out the perfect kitchen that you want, the white cabinets and the granite countertops. You pick out the, the beautiful master bathroom that's all tiled and the big master closet. It sits on this big perfect lot. And then you sign on the dotted line and the builder begins to build, but he doesn't tell you that instead of putting it on a solid slab, he builds on sand. You can't see it, you never know. And that house looks pretty when it's done and you live in it for a while, but eventually that sand is going to shift and the house is going to crumble. This is what it's like to put your hope in riches which are so uncertain. It can only lead to doubt and doubt leads to despair, and despair leads to depression, and you end up in rock bottom where you don't know how you got there in the first place, or at least you don't want to admit it. Not only do, does putting your hope in riches lead to an arrogant spirit and lead to doubt and despair, but it also has eternally detrimental consequences too. Right? God says if you fear, love, and trust in riches, in anything over and above me, the only place that's waiting for you is a place filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. The only place that's waiting for you, if your object in the center of your hope, the thing in which you hope is riches, the only place that's waiting for you is hell. And God is so abundantly clear on that. But thankfully, God doesn't want that for you. And neither does the Apostle Paul through whom God spoke, and neither do I. And that is why Paul begs us this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to ask that question and ponder that question and get an answer to that question, in whom or in what do you place your hope? Because having a hope that is properly placed, having a hope that is properly centered, changes absolutely everything. And Paul doesn't ask us to, to figure out what this is, like we're wandering around in the dark without a light. He actually gives us the answer. He says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant, nor to place their hope in riches, which are so uncertain, but to put your hope in God, 
who richly provides everything for your enjoyment. Having a properly centered, a properly placed hope changes absolutely everything for you. Having a hope that is certain, having a hope that is real, having a hope in the one true God changes not only how you evaluate what is most valuable in this life, but it also changes how you look at riches and how you use riches, and it actually gives you a better way to live. Having, your, having a properly placed hope in God is synonymous with saying you have faith in God. And how is it that somebody has faith? Well, it's not like they wake up one day and they say, I think I'm going to have faith, or it's not like they ask the question and say, I want to have faith, how do I get it? No, faith is a gift that God richly lavishes into your hearts or on your hearts. And the way in which he does that is through the most valuable thing that exists in this life. This morning in our gospel, Jesus tells two different parables. In both parables, Jesus is teaching the disciples and us what is most valuable in this life. The first parable, a man finds this treasure that's hidden in a field, and when he finds it, do you remember what he does? He goes back home in his joy, and he sells everything, absolutely everything of value, just so that he can go and have that treasure. The second one is about a merchant who is searching for a pearl, and he finds a pearl of great price. And do you know what he does when he finds this pearl? He goes away, and he sells absolutely everything he has just so he can have this pearl. Both the pearl and that treasure in the, in the gospel reading for this morning is the word of God. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is the most valuable thing in this life has nothing to do with the zeros in your bank account or the square footage of your house or how large your 401k is or the toys you have in your driveway. None of that matters because the most valuable thing in this life is the word of God because it is the thing that God uses to create your faith and it is the firm foundation upon which your faith stands. Because it is the only, it is the only place where you get certain hope. That's it. The Word of God is the only place where you can find what certain hope looks like because it is only in the Word of God where you find out not only who God is, but what God has done for you and how God feels about you. Right? It's only in the Word of God where you find out that God is not some evil despot who is withholding stuff from you. It's only in the Word of God that you find out that God is not some wicked tyrant who is lurking around every corner waiting for you to screw up in this life. And believe me, you and I screw up plenty because we still have a sinful nature in us. But God is not that wicked tyrant who's waiting for us to screw up just so he can get out and punish us. No, what you find in Scripture, what you can only find out in Scripture is who God truly is. That he is a father who loves his children. He is a father who loves his children so much that he spilled his blood for them to buy, to buy you. To buy you back from your sin. God is the father who loved you so much that He sent his son to die on the cross to win for you a forgiveness of sins that never ends. God is your father who loves you so much that he raised his son, that he sacrificed for you. He raised him back from the dead to give you the certain hope of life that never ends. This is why the word of God is so valuable. This is why it is the greatest treasure that exists because it is only in the word of God that you can find out who God actually is and how he feels about you. And it's also only in the word of God that you can find a truth like what Paul elaborates on in in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that God, your father, not only richly provides for you spiritually, but he provides for you physically too. This is a truth that we confess every time we say the first line of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. When you confess that truth, you are saying, I believe that God God provides everything that I, I need to sustain body and life here in this world, 
He's given me the clothes on my back, the food on the table, the roof over my head, the skills at my disposal, the job that I work, the money that I earn. All of this God has richly poured out on me because why? Well, it's not because you earned it. It's not because you're so good or because you deserve it. God does it for one singular reason. God richly provides everything you need, both spiritually and physically, because he loves you. Because that's who God is. And when God gives to you, he does not hold anything back. Because if God was willing to sacrifice his one and only son to save you from your sins and win for you an eternal life, how much more is he also going to give you the things that don't really matter? How much more is he going to give you the things that you need to to feed your hungry stomach, to shelter you from storms, to be able to drive to and from work? He's going to give that all to you. And Paul actually takes this a step further by, by telling us a beautiful truth. He says, God, put your hope in God who richly provides everything for your enjoyment. You realize that the Christian life is not about depraving yourselves from the blessings that God has given you. The Christian life is meant to be one that is lived, that makes full use of all of the riches that God has lavishly poured out on you. It's as if God is saying to each and every one of you, everything you have, I've given you. I don't want you to sit there and hoard it and, and stock it all away. I want you to actually go out and use it and use it to the full. God has given you so much. And when your hope is properly placed, when your hope is properly placed in God, it changes the way in which not only you view what is most valuable, the treasure that you should treasure most in this world, but it also, it also makes you reevaluate where all of these riches come from. And it also shows you how God wants you to use these riches in what I would call a better way to live. Immediately after Paul says that, that God richly provides everything you need for your enjoyment. He says, command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and willing to share. What do all three of those commands have in common that Timothy talks about? They all have to do with each other. They all have to do with other people. What what Paul is saying is that God has so richly blessed each and every one of you beyond anything that you could imagine. He's given you everything you need and he wants you to enjoy it, right? He wants you to enjoy it, but he also wants you to take all of the riches that he has blessed you with and he he wants you to put them into action. He wants you to use these riches in such a way that brings him glory by showing love to your neighbor. And notice how each one of these commands from, from Paul, each one of these commands builds on one another. It's as if somebody, as Paul is speaking, is asking, a, asking that good Lutheran question, what does this mean? Right? Paul says, be good. Somebody says, what does this mean? Well, live a life that's rich in good works. All right, but what is a good work? A good work is nothing other than an action coupled with faith in Jesus that gives glory to God. So what does a life filled with good works or rich with good works look like? Well, it looks like being generous and being willing to share. As Christians, we have this tendency to overcomplicate uh, what a good work is and, and we want a how-to manual for every aspect of our life about how we're supposed to carry out these good works. But you don't need that. A good work is simply something that you do that's coupled with faith in Jesus that brings glory to the one true God. And scripture is, is full of examples of what this looks like. And the Apostle Paul gives us one specifically. He says, be generous and be willing to share. And when you live like that, When you take the riches that God has given you and you couple them with faith and you use them in generosity and in a willingness to share for the betterment of your neighbor, you are actually making a confession. Do you realize that? 
you're making a confession about what is most important to you. Because if, you, if all you cared about was worldly riches, if all you cared about was stockpiling 401k and money in your savings and the car in your driveway, you wouldn't be willing and generous to share. Or you wouldn't be generous and willing to share. But when you live in such a way that shows love to your neighbor, love to your fellow man, love to somebody you don't even know, by being generous with the riches that God has given you, you are saying, what matters most to me is nothing to do with this life. What matters most to me are not the zeros in my bank account. What matters not to me is how much money I will have when I retire. What matters to me is what's waiting for me. Because there will come a day when earth no longer exists, when I am no longer here, and I can't take all of the stuff that I have tried to amass with me. So instead, I'm going to use it. Because the greatest treasure that I have is eternity with my God. And the only way I know that is by standing on the firm foundation of the word of God which shows me that all of this earthly riches and wealth and treasures and possessions that I have pale in comparison to standing before the shining face of my God forever, that, that is treasure. That is taking hold of life that is truly life, eternal life. And when you have your hope properly placed in the one true God that helps you to see that living this way, living in a way that that takes these riches in, from God and not only enjoys them, but shares them with others, it's actually a far better way to live. Right? Because you're no longer hoarding stuff for yourself. You're no longer caught up in the rat race wondering how your 401k or your wealth is going to grow in the stock market or if at, at some point it's all just going to disappear. That's a far better way to live. Being rich and generous with the riches that God has given you. Because when you live like that, when you live like that, people notice. Do you know why they notice? Because sharing and generosity, that doesn't come natural to humanity. No, what comes natural to humanity is being selfish. What comes naturally to humanity is being turned inward. What comes naturally to humanity is being self-centered, but not generosity and not sharing. And so when you live like that, it forces people to ask the question, why? Why do you? Why do you? Why do you live this way? Why are you so rich? You share everything. And when somebody asks you that question, it gives you an opportunity to do something. To share the hope you have. Your properly placed hope. It gives you an opportunity to share with them the thing that is most valuable in this life, the very word of God that creates your faith and the firm foundation upon which you stand. It gives you an opportunity to share the most valuable treasure that you have in your heart, in your lives, and at your disposal. And this is why Timothy, Paul says at the end of this, this first letter to Timothy, guard this. Guard what has been entrusted to your care and avoid godless babble and, and things that are contradictions and that are falsely called knowledge. Because the reality is the devil, the world, and your sinful nature, when you step out in through those doors, when you step through those doors, they're going to try to convince you that riches is the way to go from a worldly perspective, that you should place your hope and your trust and your love and your fear in riches because that's the way that the world works and your sinful nature is going to be tempted to do that. But Paul says, don't. Don't allow these things to, to move you from the hope that you have. The hope that is found in the word of God that is centered on Jesus Christ. This is why the word of God is such a valuable treasure. Because the word of God answers that question that you and I have been chasing the entirety of this sermon. In whom and in what? You place your hope in the God 
who richly provides everything both physically and spiritually for you. Amen.